All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are uh, so grateful for you gathering us here this morning to, to sit under your word, to fellowship with each other, and to enjoy the, the ministry of your, of your church. And pray that as we continue to think about this, this topic of evangelism, that you would um, open our, our hearts and submit our, our minds under your, under your word. Pray that um, as we talk about practical ways of sharing the gospel and, and dispositions as we share the gospel, pray that you would grow us and in Christ-likeness as we proclaim the gospel to those that do not know you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we are going to pick back in our study of evangelism and the tentative plan over the next couple of lessons, two lessons, that's a couple, is to, to think on the topic and practice of actually sharing our faith. And so just to give some expectation of where we're going, we'll hopefully cover topics like dispositions, our dispositions as we evangelize. Um, overcoming common ox obstacles to sharing our faith, and maybe how to use our, our testimony in our evangelism. Um, but the hope over the, the next couple of weeks is just to get more practical in instruction as kind of the first type of the study laid the foundation of um, kind of a theology of evangelism. But this is just going to be just for y'all that are following me. That's all of you. Um, I'm going to be a little more scattered than usual, kind of going from place to place. It's not going to be as organized. Um, so good luck. But the first place I want us to turn is in the Bible, which is good. The Bible um, and the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this may be the most important, at least the most pertinent, New Testament text for evangelism. And that verse is uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, but I'm going to start reading in verse 16. And what I want us to see here is something we touched on a bit earlier in earlier lessons. That is this, fundamental, fundamental to our, our understanding of sharing our faith is that we do so as ambassadors for Christ, as ambassadors of or for Christ. And we get that language from this passage here in 2 Corinthians. So read with me, starting in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All, that it is, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, 
God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here Paul is talking about how his and and, and the apostles' ministry is, is a ministry of reconciliation. And what he means here by reconciliation is sort of shorthand for God's saving activity in Christ. So we see in verse 18, Paul says that that through Christ, God has reconciled us to himself and in turn gave Paul and the apostles, and I would argue us, or by extension all Jesus' followers in time, he's, he's given us a certain ministry, a ministry of reconciliation. He then explains what he, what he means by this ministry. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to him, not, not counting our trespasses or, or sins against us, against them. And God has entrusted this message, the message of reconciliation, between God and man through faith in Christ to Paul and the apostles. So hopefully you can see what, what Paul means here in these verses by, by reconciliation is, is the message of the gospel. In verse 20, Paul gives the, the all-important verse for evangelism. He writes, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So because God has entrusted the message of reconciliation, the the message of the gospel to Paul and the apostles, they are actually ambassadors for Christ and and literally God making his his appeal through them, through their gospel proclamation, through their ministry. And the word ambassador is kind of where I want to camp out and I think is key for us to understand. And again, I just want to reiterate, I would say that though this text is specifically talking about Paul and and the apostles, it does apply to us if we are believing and teaching and sharing the same gospel, the same message of reconciliation that, that Paul teaches and preaches. So it's largely believed, and I think this is right, that that all Christians are ambassadors for Christ. All Christians are ambassadors for Christ. Remember that if you were here a few weeks ago, we saw the the very same argument made by J.I. Packer in his book. Let's think about being an ambassador. Ambassador is kingdom language. Ambassadors are are representatives or, or mouthpieces for a nation or a kingdom. And in this passage, Paul says he is an ambassador for Jesus. And we're told in other texts, and really the, the whole canon of Scripture makes this clear, that, that Jesus is king. Jesus is king of a particular kingdom called the, called the kingdom of God. And so in God's kingdom, we have a monarchy rule, ruled by the, the perfect king. And he calls his followers to, to be his ambassadors for the message of his kingdom. 
for the good news of his kingdom. So literally the, the gospel. And this reality of what we are when, when we proclaim the gospel message has big implications for how we actually share the gospel. The first and probably most important thing is that ambassadors for Christ, or as ambassadors for Christ, we're not free to share a different gospel message. We don't have any right to change the message of our king. Again, we touched on this a bit in the Packer book, but, but by definition of being an ambassador, being a representative, carrying a message on behalf of the kingdom, then we don't actually make up the message that we are to proclaim. We, we receive it and share it. And we have no right to, to add or detract from the message. In fact, the, the primary job of an ambassador is to, get, is to get the message right, to understand the message, to get the message right, and to deliver it. To deliver it accurately. That's why ambassadors exist. And this, I think, is helpful and important for a couple reasons in our evangelism. First, it causes us to be sure to get the message right, or at least strive to, not in some, some paralyzing way where we just are overly introspective and overly introspective on what we're saying. We, we just fail to share anything because we're kind of paralyzed that we don't get it right. But we should, in a prudent, diligent way, seek to, to more and more grow in our understanding of the gospel to be able to teach it to people accurately on behalf of our king. But it's also important to get the message right because that is how sinners are reconciled with God. So as ambassadors for Christ, we do actually have the only message that will save sinners from the punishment of their sin. We have the only message of reconciliation with God. We have, the, we have the only message on earth that will save. So being faithful to the message that Jesus has entrusted to his followers is important, massively important, vitally important. Because the, the, the idea of being an ambassador causes us to have a certain responsibility, responsibility in proclaiming the gospel because we're speaking for Jesus, we're speaking on his behalf and the message that he's proclaimed on earth. And so that gives evangelism, I think, a, a certain weight, a certain gravity that should cause us to, to take it seriously. But again, I don't want to set this in contrast, not so serious that it's in some debilitating way that causes us to be inactive. We're going to talk about kind of that tension more in a few minutes as we talk about overcoming obstacles or barriers to witnessing. But another reality for our evangelism when we're thinking about being an ambassador of Christ, ambassador for Christ, is that I think it should make us bold in our witnessing, in our evangelism. And it should make us bold primarily because of who we're representing. We are messengers of who? We are messengers of Jesus Christ, the King, the King of the universe, the Lord of all, the King of kings, who has all authority in heaven on earth, and he's delegated that authority to us as his ambassadors. 
Therefore, when we truly proclaim the gospel message, what Paul is here calling the message of reconciliation, then we can be confident that it is God, God who is making his appeal through us. Right, you get that? The, he's making his appeal through us, the messenger. So I think this does a lot to combat the fear of man that we, that we often face. Because if we have awkward encounters, or even if worse, face hostility to what we're saying, or just a flat-out rejection of the truth, we know that it's not primarily us that is being rejected. It's ultimately God through the message of the gospel. So in our evangelism, I think we can be bold and confident knowing that we're being sent as representatives, as ambassadors for the king. So no human or earthly response really will matter to us. Or one way you can think about this is that no human response will matter to us in a million years when we're reigning with our king in all eternity. And I think if we think about it from that perspective, I think it can free us. It can make us bold and confident in our evangelism. But I want to also focus here on thinking about hostile responses to the gospel with another key text, which you can turn there. It's in 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 26. That's Revelation. There we go. But any comments or questions so far? Yeah, a, a foreign nation. Yeah, not the homeland. And that's where we are, too. That is where we are. That's where all Christians are, yeah. All right, 2 Timothy 2. I'm going to start in verse 24. Actually, I'll start in verse 23. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies you know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So, now the context here is also really important, just like every... Bible passage. Paul is speaking to to Timothy, a young pastor, and giving him instructions on what his ministry should entail, what it should look like. So the most direct application of these verses, of this book, is these verses is to those in pastoral ministry or in ministry generally. But I do think, and the church broadly speaking has also interpreted these verses to apply to any Christian so he's talking about servants or, or, or literally slaves to Christ. What it means to be a, a servant, a good servant of the Lord. So this description or command Paul gives to Timothy, I think, is again for all Christians. And what do we see and how does it relate to evangelism? Well, Paul is talking here in this letter in the context of avoiding foolish or you could say fruitless controversies. 
He tells Timothy three times in this chapter alone to have nothing to do with foolish controversies because what controversies do is they breed quarrels and, and fighting, which is unbecoming of God's servant. And actually, what God's servant must not be is quarrelsome or, or prone to get into contentious disagreements with others. And positively, we see that we are to be kind to everyone, patiently enduring evil and correcting our opponents with gentleness. Now, in the context, Paul's talking to, to, to Timothy about engagements with false teachers. But I would argue that the, the same principle that, that Paul's giving Timothy here about engaging false teachers should apply and guide all our interactions with non-believers. And I think this is especially revel- re- re- what's the word? Relevant. <laughs> especially relevant given our current cultural context and kind of the, the place our society is in, situated in history. There's, there's no doubt that Christianity, the, the Christian worldview, is more and more becoming hostile to just the regular, normal individual in our nation. In fact, probably more than previous generation, um, you're, you're more likely to face outright hostility for proclaiming and teaching the gospel to the lost. Although I do think it's probably still a rare occurrence. But I think it's going to be increasing. It is increasing and probably will happen. And so that action of proclaiming and teaching the gospel will always inevitably offend those that are standing opposed to the Lord, that are standing opposed to to Yahweh and His ways. They're not submitting to His Lordship. You have ample opportunity to face backlash as you confront them. So I do think these verses are very practical for us as we're going to be growing in in our encounters of those that are opposed to the gospel, even hostile to the things of God. Now personally, I don't know if you're like me, but I've experienced that it's sometimes most difficult to keep calm and be gentle as we're sharing our faith and, and facing questions in our teaching of the gospel but I find it most difficult when we're sharing with the people that I'm, I'm closest with, that I'm most comfortable with. So for me, it's a lot easier to become quarrelsome, to be not gentle, to be unkind with my words when I'm speaking to, let's say, a, an unbeliever in my own family. Much more so than someone that I don't know, like a, like a stranger. It's much harder for me to be quarrelsome and not gentle and unkind to a stranger. But I, I think these verses can be applied to those relationships where it's already kind of natural or normal for us to be comfortable letting our guard down and, and where those opportunities to be angry and harsh happen. So Paul's teaching here that God's servants must not be guided by the desire God's servants must not be guided by the desire to win an argument for the sake of winning an argument or to take revenge on someone because of their treatment of us. 
Notice he says we must be kind, with, without distinction, kind to everyone, kind to all. And able to teach here, if you see that phrase, I think it's connected to, to the phrase in verse 25 of, of knowledge or the, the knowledge of the truth. So God's servants must be able to teach the knowledge of the truth. And I think the truth here is referring to, to the way of salvation in and through Jesus, as conveyed by, by the gospel message. So we could say just shorthand that the truth of the gospel message, God's servant must be kind to those he's evangelizing to and able to, to teach them the gospel. And that's in step with what we've seen Paul say in other places. Next, we must, we must patiently endure evil. We must patiently endure evil. It's an interesting phrase, and I think we need to be careful here about what Paul's not saying. I don't think Paul's saying we need to, to seek out suffering or evil and persecution by our enemies or, or those who are opposed to God from, from false teachers. Rather, when we encounter those that are hostile to God and, and enemies of the gospel and of Jesus, specifically those that are teaching things contrary to the gospel message, we must endure that evil. We must endure that evil patiently. I don't know about you, but for me that is extremely counterintuitive. Intuitively, I feel like I don't want to endure evil patiently. I want to do so impatiently. Um, But such can't be as we proclaim and teach the gospel if we want to do so as a, as a worker approved by the Lord, as a servant that God approves. Verse 25, we see uh, another exhortation that we must also correct those that oppose us so we don't let them stay in their error. We must correct those that oppose us with gentleness. This is in line with, with being kind, with, with being patient. So we must, we must exercise this, this fruit of the Spirit to be gentle to those we are interacting with, to, do, to those that we're opposing. So I hope that you can see how this kind of translates to our, our evangelism, practically. We can summarize Paul's teaching by saying we must strive to be kind. We must strive to be kind, patient, and gentle in our proclamation and teaching of the gospel to others. Especially when, especially when they're, they're in opposition to the gospel. Now this needs to be held together with something we saw last week in our, in our youth service, youth meeting, on the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 7, 6, do not give, to do- do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So very famous verse, Jesus is, is teaching that his followers must try to wisely discern the true character of people and not to, to indefinitely continue proclaiming the gospel to those who, who adamantly or, or even angrily, hostily reject the gospel so that we're, we're able to move on and proclaim the gospel to others who perhaps will be more receptive. And as Brady told the youth a couple weeks ago, it takes a ton of wisdom 
a massive amount of wisdom to know what type of person we're dealing with. And the call for us to be kind, gentle, and patient does not mean we indefinitely share the gospel with those that are hostile to it. In fact, it could be unwise, an unwise use of time to continue to evangelize to someone who's actively hostile to God's word. Yet, if we do engage with someone like that, our character must not change. Our character must not fold. We must be kind, we must be gentle, and we must be patient. And it takes wisdom to know when to move on from a hostile person. But the truth is, the principle that we need to, to hold on to is when we do interact with the hostile person, we must be gentle and kind and patient. Now back to the Second Timothy passage. Paul tells Timothy the, the result of this patient, kind, gentle teaching of the gospel message. So notice in, in verse 25, the result or goal of this type of engagement with the enemy. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. So through the, the kind, gentle, patient teaching and correcting of the false belief, God may grant the lost person, the, the enemy of God, repentance. That leads to a true saving knowledge of the gospel. So just think about this, how this pertains to our evangelism. I think this should be at the, the front of our minds in our gospel conversations. Our kindness... Our, our gentleness, remember, it, it only comes through grace by, by, the, by the fruit of the Spirit. But our, our, our outward actions, how we portray the truth, our tone, all of that matters. It's important in our gospel proclamation and can even lead some to, to repentance. Again, meaning very practically, things like our tone, our, our word choice, our emotional state in a conversation, not getting visibly mad and, and harsh, they, they all matter. All those things matter immensely as we evangelize. And this is difficult because in our evangelism, we're dealing with some of the most sensitive topics that we can talk about. The nature of sin. I'm typically going to call. We're going to call the um, the person we're evangelizing with to repentance. That requires an, an open talk about their sin, about their wickedness. We we may encounter anger and and hostility, harsh words against our King, false things said about Jesus, and we can't be like Peter. Right? And pull out our sword ready to defend the Lord in the garden. We can't use our tone or, or rhetoric to destroy those we're trying to teach the gospel with. As tempting as that is, which it is really tempting. And this again, it has a ton, this, this has a ton of overlap with, with apologetic engagement which both of those are, are very evangelism, apologetics, very um, closely tied together. So the charge from Paul to us is that we must be not be quarrelsome. We must patiently endure evil and correct our opponents with gentleness so that some may be convicted to repentance and have true saving knowledge of the gospel. 
any questions or comments before moving on to some common barriers to evangelism? Oh, y'all can both talk at once, one flesh. There you go. I think so. I think one of the things Brady mentioned in the that was helpful in the youth lesson is kind of the the level of hostility towards the gospel or the the word of God, um, and kind of the the higher level of hostility would lead to spending less time with that person. Um, that's kind of the paradigm. Yeah, and I, I also think. This is where we've talked about this a little bit about evangelism kind of done in community is really helpful because then if you can bring this person along with maybe other Christians and then three Christians are saying, oh, this, uh, we might need to just move on here. It's much more helpful than just your own personal wisdom, um, if that makes sense. I think I'm tracking with you. <laughs> I think I understand what you're saying, yeah. Um, all right, let's move on to, to barriers, common barriers we face in sharing the gospel or walls to witnessing. Um, the first barrier that's... Or actually, let me just tell you where I got it. This, this is coming from a small little booklet I read in seminary. It's called Overcoming Walls to Witnessing. Overcoming Walls to Witnessing by Timothy Buker, and it's also a chapter in the, the first evangelism textbook that I, I recommended the first week, all the way back then, but you can talk to me afterwards if you want to read this. Um, but what Buker does is super helpful, and he just explores the common ox- obstacles he's heard in his ministry. Um, he's been a pastor for 30 years of, of why people avoid or, or don't evangelize. So I think I'm just going to pick out my favorite of these, actually what probably most relate to me, um, of these obstacles. And so the first barrier that's probably, I think, the most common is the, the barrier of fear, fear and evangelism. And I think it's just helpful to state up front, as we're talking about fear, that if you struggle with fear and evangelism, you are not alone. I can pretty much guarantee you all believers that share the gospel at some level have to deal with fear. It's by no means an easy thing to do to to share the gospel. But we can't just be content in our fear. And God has called us to not not be paralyzed or be called to inaction in our fear. So one thing we need to do, which may be very simplistic and kind of elementary, is to name our fears out loud and prayer, and take them to the Lord. What is it that you specifically fear in evangelism? Is it the fear that you will be looked at differently, or odd, or a fear that a relationship might have to change if you, if you bring up that conversation? The relationship dynamic will change. Is that the fear? Is the fear you don't know enough, that you don't have enough knowledge to, to actually share the gospel? Fear that you might actually do more harm than good. 
probably the, the most common fear is just simply the fear of being rejected. But how do we respond to fear? Beaker begins by saying it's, it's helpful to just consider that, that fear to a certain degree is normal and can even be desirable in some sense, and that it can grow us in our dependence on the Lord. It can grow us on his, 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 our dependence on Him to, to trust or to depend on His power to act and to work. He writes, fear can be a good thing when it leads us to have a strong confidence in God and not in ourselves, not in our own abilities. I think this is largely right. But when fear paralyzes us is when there becomes an issue. And I think this is probably the most common human experience with fear. It it leads us to inaction. It leads us not to act. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. That, that, that feeling of fear can lead us actually to a dependence upon the Lord as we, as we go to Him in prayer. Further dependence on, on the Holy Spirit in our evangelism, in our witnessing. But I do think that there are some practical things we can do to combat our fears. And they, they largely involve our thoughts, what we think about the first is to recognize that our fears are largely, mostly ungrounded, or we could say even they're, they're, they're mostly irrational. I mentioned this earlier, but I think most people who hear the gospel don't respond in a hostile manner. And typically, most non-Christians are very willing and eager to discuss spiritual things, which even for me personally rings true. When I was not a Christian, I didn't become a Christian until I was 18, But I enjoyed speaking to Christians about spiritual things. I mean, I didn't reject it. And yet now, as a Christian, I often fall into this particular fear of not wanting the the non-believer to feel uncomfortable or to to talk on things they don't want to talk about. But this just typically isn't the case. Most people, if they're approached with gentleness and sensitivity, will respond well. Not not saying that they'll, they'll believe, but the encounter will most likely be pleasant. Of course, this is not always the case. There, there is hostile responses. And also, just thinking about fear, we just need to constantly, another way to combat fear is to just constantly remind ourselves that fear doesn't excuse us from our responsibility to witness. So I often need to tell myself this over and over, that fear, fear of man, fear of failure, fear, fear of whatever, doesn't allow me to not act, even though that's what I feel like I want to do. So basically, at the end of the, at the, end of the day, I, we, have to get over it. We have to get over our fear, and we have to be obedient. We have to trust God, and we have to act. The, the second barrier of evangelism that Bucher deals with is ignorance. Ignorance. Or the claim believers sometimes say that they don't know how to evangelize. And typically what someone means by this is one of two things. It may mean they don't fully grasp the, the message of the gospel. Sorry. Or they could be uncertain about the, the appropriate or best method of sharing the gospel. 
And as we've seen throughout the study, a good grasp on the gospel is very important in our evangelism. But I would just say that if you know the gospel enough to be a Christian, then you know enough to share how to be a Christian. Or more simply, put, anyone that knows Jesus savingly can bear witness to him, by definition. So really the claim of ignorance, of, of method, or, or someone who says they don't know what to do, they don't know what to do in evangelistic conversation, is typically a misguided one. Now there, there are several different methods that can help. Several different books, helps, that have been produced throughout the years that, that are designed to aid our, our gospel conversations with, with others. Some are better than others. I'm not really too concerned about that for this lesson. Because at the most fundamental level, if you're a Christian, if you are believing in Christ, you can share that gospel because you believe in it. So you can share, you can articulate your belief in it. You can share what, what happened in your life and invite others to repent and believe as you did. The next barrier in evangelism is the barrier of apathy. The barrier of apathy. And the first thing to say about apathy, which is just kind of the feeling of feeling indifference towards sharing the gospel, it's kind of just a, I, I don't really care about doing this, is that as Christians, we're not ruled by our emotions. We're not ruled by how we feel. So at the most fundamental level, it really doesn't matter if you're apathetic towards obeying the Lord. We are to choose God's way, whether we're, we're in the moment we feel like it or in the moment we feel the desire to do it, whether we like it at that particular time or not or if we feel like it. Now, having said that, having a, an, a right emotional burden for the loss can serve as, as a powerful motivation in our evangelism. So it's important that we, we guard against and combat the times when we do feel apathetic, which if we're honest, it's going to happen to each of us from time to time, where we just feel indifferent to the task of evangelism. We'd rather do other things. We'd rather do um, other things. So how can we, how can we grow or, or have a heart of compassion towards lost people, which will lead us to evangelism, the only thing that will lead us to evangelism? The primary way to develop a heart of compassion is to remember the, the truth that people outside of Christ, people outside of Christ are heading for hell and to kind of constantly remind yourself of that. Eternal punishment for their, their sins. This is the fate for people that don't know Christ. And as Christians, who, who, we, we are people that do not merit our salvation. We are saved by grace alone that, that should cause, that should motivate our hearts to care. If we truly believe in the reality of heaven and hell, then sharing the gospel with the lost becomes a, a necessary aspect of our love for that person. It's the most pressing, it's the most important issue any of us will, will face. So contemplating and, and meditating on the reality of hell is, is one way we can sort of get out of this emotional apathy of sharing the gospel. Coupled with this truth, very related, is, is the reality of time. 
the reality that time is really short. So James 4.14 says, You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So we are all destined to die in this age. And we don't know when, but we do know that our time is limited and that all lost people, all the lost people that we know, their time is limited. Reminding ourselves of this is another way to kind of just recalibrate our hearts to have compassion on the lost, to, to, to get us out of this apathetic slumber. The last way that I think we can grow in our compassion and not fall into apathy is just to spend more time with lost people, to, to, to develop relationships, to get involved with the lives of non-believers. Naturally, as we begin to grow in our affection for them, and the more time we spend and grow and, 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 and love for them, it will lead us, out, lead us to, to reach out to them to, to proclaim the gospel, to teach the gospel to them as we know it's the only way for them to be saved. It, so spending time with them can break our apathy of sharing the gospel. Stop for any questions, comments. Rob? I think so, yes. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's wise, very wise, I'd say necessary to admit ignorance when you don't know something, and foolish, very unwise, to make up an answer or lie out of a fear that you are going to look ignorant or stupid or something. Yeah, and that would be the fear of the Lord. You're, you're obeying God before man. Corbin? Yeah, all this is really helpful. Just more ammunition to, to help our, our, our common barriers. So super thankful for you all sharing. A couple more. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, it kind of did bringing up the, to them, to their, to their mind, the consequences of sin, the right. eternal consequences. Yeah. Turning. Pardon? A turning from sin. Right. Yeah. But that's the hard part to talk about to someone. It is. Who are you to tell me I can't do whatever I want to do? Yeah, that's where it's, I think, helpful to remember someone, everyone's saying that it's not, it is the word of God that is going to be the one piercing them. So it's not, again, it's not us that they're rejecting. They're, they can shoot the messenger. But it's ultimately the word of God that is going to bear on their conscience, which it does make it. I think at least it's helpful for me that when I face rejection in that way, that to know that it's, it is hard, but it's not some personal animosity towards me. Yeah, that's a, living in kind of a relativistic age where Everyone's truth is their own truth. That is a, a big difficulty. But I think you're right. That is the only response. All right, let's do some, a couple more of these barriers. This one I think is pretty interesting, uh, what Bucher calls the, the barrier of introspection. 
And really what he has in mind here is the practice. When a, when a Christian begins to think things like, um, these are just some examples. I'm not, I'm not worthy enough to share the gospel. Or maybe, have you seen my life? Maybe when, when I get things straightened out, then I will evangelize. And I think these types of, of deceptions are pretty common for, for Christians. And I would just say this is actually one consequence of, of living in sin. So I'm not saying all cases of this type of introspection are from unrepentant sin or living in sin. But one of the consequences of a Christian living in sin is that these types of introspective doubts will necessarily enter your mind. And it will actually lead to more sin, the sin of, of inaction, as you just kind of dwell in this, this pity party in yourself. But there are just some Christians who, who aren't necessarily in sin, but just think themselves into what I would call an evangelistic paralysis. And one way to combat this this introspection is to remind ourselves that there, there, there is no perfect witnesses or ambassadors. And what I mean is that we, we all sin in this age. So no one is really ever, quote unquote, good enough to share the gospel. But God uses by his grace us to be his messengers. And the great and amazing thing is that, that the gospel message, the word of God, is perfect. So there's, there's no error in the message being proclaimed. But we should remind ourselves that God does not require perfection for us to be his messengers because then none of us would be qualified to, be, to share and teach the gospel. It's just, I think, a, a, a popular lie that's easy to believe, but think of what it actually typically leads to. It leads to you not proclaiming the gospel, a, a lack of the gospel being proclaimed. Uh, the last barrier I want to talk about, and probably the one we can relate to the most in this day and age, is the barrier of busyness. The barrier of busyness, or just being busy people, which we are. So maybe you've had the thought, yeah, I know evangelism's important, and I really want to do it. I'll just do it if I had the time. Something like that. Maybe you don't say it like that out loud, but you're in your personal thought life. And we do. We, we all have things. We have stuff. We have jobs. We have kids. Kids aren't stuff. Kids are great. We have obligations. We have families. We all have important things God has called us and that we, we actually can't neglect those things. They're, they're important things that God calls us to do as his disciples. And yet I suspect the excuse of busyness is often just that, an, an excuse. Most of us, and I think it would be safe to say all of us, can choose how we spend our time. And the fact is, I would argue, we don't actually need to, to carve out more time in our schedule to evangelize. And here's why. God has already placed non-believers in your life. And so I don't think, given the culture and society we live in, that, that we need to, to actually spend time finding non-believers, although that could be debated. But it does take time to, to cultivate relationships with non-believers and, and share the gospel with them. I've seen many do this well. Some in this congregation do this very well. And so maybe they, they utilize the lunch hour at their job to spend time reading the scriptures with someone with a non-believing coworker, or spending times during breaks at work to, to have gospel conversations with a coworker, 
right? Notice that they're not adding anything new to their schedule. They're just utilizing their existing schedule for gospel purposes or for evangelistic purposes. I think there's, there's probably no busier people than, than moms with young children. But even you ladies can get innovative in, in using time to share the gospel. Maybe invite non-believing moms to the park on a play date. Use that opportunity to, to have gospel conversations. I'm sure there's a, a ton of more ways that we can get creative. My point is, one way we can incorporate evangelism into our already busy lives is not to ask, necessarily add more things to our plate, but find ways to teach the gospel to non-believers in your already existing schedule. Now, there does, there does come a time where we, we're going to have to sacrifice a good thing for the sake of cultivating a relationship with lost people. So it may mean prioritizing going to lunch with a non-believer, with a non-believing coworker, instead of going to lunch with a friend that you're more comfortable with that, that's a Christian. Right? And it could be a balance. You don't always have to do that. Right? You can go to lunch with your Christian friends too, but there does have to be some sacrifice of getting to know and, and spend time in your carved out schedule. And honestly, I think there, there are things in our lives and schedule that, that, that fall under the category of time-wasting. So it's a, a helpful exercise, not just for evangelism, but just for our personal spiritual disciplines, um, dedication to the things of the Lord, to, to schedule out how we spend our time. We, we have a limited amount of time and energy. So planning is a wise practice that can help us cultivate and prioritize evangelistic opportunities. And again, we can get creative. So for us, Little League sports functions in this way. Um, it kind of kills two birds with one stone. Ezra gets to play ball. He's happy. We get to interact with non-believing parents. So we kind of get to kill two birds with one stone. If you have extra tickets to a ball game, you get to enjoy the ball game, but then maybe invite a non-believing friend or the, or the symphony or whatever. Can't really talk at a symphony, but um, there's a number of ways again that we can spend our time evangelizing without necessarily adding more burdens to our schedule. So that's all I have for us today. Next week, something will be taught. It'll be good. <laughs> you guys are dismissed. <laughs>